There are lots of stresses with three boys when you're a mum. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of issues when someone dumps you for a Russian yoga teacher. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's things to think through, like, will I ever do yoga again? <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I chatted to comic, actor, writer, and owner of probably the two cutest dogs in the world, Sally Phillips. Sally took me to her manor in London's Barnes and we walked along the Thames towpath with her beautiful two rescue dogs, Lola and Teddy. Sally first burst onto the comedy scene with her groundbreaking show Smack the Pony in the 90s. And since then, she's created some legendary characters. Alan Partridge's nemesis, Sophie, the hotel receptionist, Tilly and Miranda, and Shazza, Bridget Jones's scene-stealing friend. I had a lovely walk with Sally. She's obviously a really devoted mum to her three boys, one of whom has Down syndrome, which is something she's really helped bring awareness to. We also chatted about her childhood, moving around the world a lot, how she really struggles with compliments. And of course, there was a lot of dog chat. Sally's writing a film at the moment with fellow comic performer Ronnie Ancona about dogs. Hurry up, girls. We need this in our lives. But in the meantime, I really hope you enjoy our walk as much as I did. If you do, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. I'll shut up now. Here's Sally. We can let them off. Right, you uh, lead the way. Yeah. I'm getting all tangled. Come on, Teddy. Have I got Teddy, Sally? You've got Teddy and this is Lottie. And they're both Slovakian rescues. Lottie's eight, Teddy's seven. And yeah, I'm gonna, should we do single file down this? Can do. We can actually just let these off now. It's only when they're really? near the road. Yes, just work. I like it along here because they're so independent. With the dogs. Um, with the coronavirus, they still have to be on a lead in lots of places, but not along here. Which is partly why I got really into the towpath. And it's this is so beautiful here. Oh look, I've noticed uh, Lottie's. A bit more at mum's side. Yeah, she's a, she's a bit more she's a bit more nervous, Lottie, than, than Teddy Ted. was just off. First Teddy's just off, the yeah. But Teddy okay. is such a faithful hound. I wake up in the morning and he's sat outside my outside my bedroom. I think he's like the dog in up, Doug. He's exactly like the dog in up, isn't he? He's like across between the dog in up and um, Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars because <laughs> the ears are just so much too big. Well, I should probably head. do the introductions. Let's get that out of the way with. Um, I'm really excited. This is Walking the Dog, and I'm with someone I've been a huge fan of for a long time, the very wonderful Sally Phillips. I can't even list all your achievements. Oh, please don't. It's okay. so nice to be out with the dogs and, <laughs> and the sun and looking at the river. And, uh, you don't want reminders of work. I know, exactly. This is oh, like, Sally, there's an Airedale. What do you think of them? I do like Airedales. I do, I do like Airedales. Yeah, I do. You sounded like there was I a do. slight reservation. Yeah, there is Go a on. slight reservation. What's that? Um, I just, I like my, uh, well, I, I'm in a queue for a Parsons Jack Russell. So I considered an Airedale very seriously. But I'm going to, I'm actually going to get either a Parsons Jack Russell or a um, long-haired Australian. I like Very the idea of having family. a long-haired Australian, though, because... 
You would just think, oh, well, the long-haired Australian's going to come. People think, oh, <laughs> he's she's make it that awful boyfriend of hers. <laughs> she's just leeching off her. <laughs> Been on a gap here for uh, 12 years, that man. Yeah. Um, Is Chris Hemsworth Australian? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, do you want to introduce us? I know I'm not allowed to list all your accolades, but I'm going to say comedian, writer, actor... I've got no idea what I am anymore, really. I've I've diversified just because of the kids, really. So I think if I hadn't had kids, if I'd only had dogs... Yeah, he's a ratter. Teddy's after, he's seen something. He did once come out with a rat. And uh, I was really girly. leapt into that And they try and climb up the trees and get the squirrels. And they are proper up dogs, you know. So do you want to talk us through your dogs and introduce them properly? Teddy and we have Teddy and Lottie. And Lottie's eight. Teddy's seven. Teddy is uh, like the family's police dog. He uh, checks the door. He takes everyone to bed. Checks everyone's in bed at night. I wake up in the morning. He's sat outside my door. And Teddy's sort of rust-coloured, isn't he? Looks like a fox. Come like on, basil, Teddy. like basil brush. He he is really like the dog from Up, like Doug from Up. He's, so he's got massive ears, much too big for his face. And he, I think he's kind of regal, even though his um, legs are very short. And what, what, what make of dog are they, Sally? We don't know. They're crossbreeds. I've recently discovered that you don't say mongrels or mutts because it's offensive. <laughs> Lottie! But they were Teddy! Down. Where's he gone? He's not gone Teddy. straight in the road, has he? Teddy! 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 There, oh, there he, is. he is. All right. Come on, Teddy! Come on, guys. And Lottie, are they are they related? So they're, no, they're they're both from Slovakia, and they came. They arrived with a nanny. Really? So, so they were they street dogs in Slovakia. Yeah. Wow. And Teddy was hit repeatedly over the head with a frying pan. So Jana insists that he's stupid. We don't think he's at all stupid. We think he's really smart. He's learnt to do you know poor tricks. But Lottie is very very sensitive. And how did you get them, Sally? Did you go to it via a charity or something? No, embarrassingly, I've got a live-in nanny. I'm a single parent, I've got a live-in nanny. And she arrived um, when my marriage broke up. I got this super deluxe, or advertised for a super deluxe top-of-the-range nanny. Yes, you wanted to miss out our super deluxe top-of-the-range nanny sort of mentioned that she had these two dogs. And so then she put us on trial where we had a month with a Norfolk Terrier to see if we were going to kill it, which we didn't. <laughs> and once she decided we were safe, she brought the dogs. And they totally transformed uh, the family life. And it's great because I think Jana now won't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> so black, we've trapped her. The blackmail dogs. <laughs> the blackmail dogs, yeah. And they've, defi- they've just all become part of the family. I mean, oh, lovely. And what Teddy, we call Teddy the therapy dog because he uh, oh. takes the kids to bed and cuddles up with them. And is that a border terrier, Sally? Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. How old is she? Yes. She's um she's thirteen. She's yeah. She's, I was actually just thinking, looking at her, thinking, is she going blind? She's just like seems to Sorry. be. Sorry. I don't know. She's very odd. Yeah, she's a lovely dog. She is. She's gorgeous. She's lovely. Gorgeous. Thank you. And you. And you. Oh, look. The water's coming with us. They do make a good gang. 
we quite, we uh, have looked after a friend's spaniel as well. They make such a when there's three of them, they make such a gang. They rule the park. Do you know what? I'm not surprised that Border Terrier tried to join our gang because I want to be with Lossie and Teddy and Sally. I love the way they do everything together. You know, they they um, well. Oh, just their, their interaction and also you just don't feel so bad leaving them on their own yeah. in the house and they've got each other so you leave them on their own with the, you know, the door open and go and pop out really quickly and do they were they nervous Sally when they first when you first got them and did you get a sense that they'd been sort of they'd had a, a tough start in life no I, I mean they were nervous of my boys my boys are quite unpredictable so I've got three boys 15 they're now 15, 13 and 8. Yeah. And um, they hadn't had... We had a... We've got the world's least rewarding hamster. <laughs> a hamster called, <coughs> hamster called Rockstar. Who we called Rockstar because he was, we thought, singing in the pet shop. Turns out he was screaming in terror. <laughs> so if you go anywhere near him, he bites you. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we didn't, you know, you need, to, you, it's as much about training the humans as training the dogs, isn't it? Have you found that with yours? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's so really, you have to, it, it's that thing where I, I'm always thinking with my dog, Raymond, who I didn't bring today only because... You never know. Well, you never know whether they're going to get along. Um, although I think Teddy and Lola would have been absolutely charming oh. with him. Oh. That was a bit aggressive. Cyclist went straight for... Straight for Lottie. Not, they don't have much road sense, has to be said. Lottie in particular would really love to stand in the middle of a motorway. <laughs> you know what's nice? They're a really perfect yin-yang. They are, aren't they? I think um, Teddy is how I want to be in relationships and Lottie <laughs> is how I am. Lottie just she can't quite bring herself to leave your side. She wants to. But Whereas what I we've noticed about Lottie is that the, any men who come to the house are really, really love Lottie. So they go, where's the girls? There's this sensitive, <laughs> sensitive girl dog, the blonde girl dog that hides on the second floor yes. away from the noise and they try and coax her out. Whereas Teddy is, <laughs> you know, you walk in and Teddy rolls on his back immediately and <laughs> follows you around. And oh, well, I've fallen for them already, I have to say. Um, Thank you. So Sally, I'm so delighted to be doing this with you. Can you talk me through, this is your manor as well, and it's lovely. So we're in, it's Barnes, isn't it? We're on the towpath, and we we'll probably walk between Barnes and get as far as Kew, um, along by the river. And the tide's out, we're it's along the Thames. A Labradoodle or something. Looks like a cockapoo, isn't it? Yeah. Spoodle. 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 It's the spring of Spaniel energy. Spr <laughs> <laughs> Spoodle. I haven't heard, do you know a Spoodle? I had heard about Spoodle. I've ended up, this is just awful, I've become a terrible rescue dog snob. <laughs> I've just become... <laughs> this is someone who didn't have a dog until two years ago. Um, yeah, and I'm now just incredibly proud that I don't have any form of Poodle mix. So this is, there's a lot of rowing. And they're not doing the eights yet on the river, I don't think. But so people are going out in singles. And there's lots of serious coaching. I'd cry. Are you sporty? No. Well, do you cry? I think I'd you just say, I don't want to do this and get out. 
I think I wouldn't mind it. I think the thing, I wouldn't mind it being on the river, but it's when they do the erg. That is what would make me cry. You What's know, the, the erg? erg is a rowing machine. And you just have to do that for hours and hours, and there's no view. And oh, is that the thing? An ex-partner of mine had one of those. Is that why the water's all sloshing around in it? No. Seen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a paddling pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cup. <laughs> oh so I want to go back to Philip's, um, the Philip's family, and your childhood essentially, because you grew up. You had quite a peripatetic childhood, didn't you? Did you move around quite a lot when you were a kid. Yeah, my dad worked for British Airways, or initially worked for BOAC as it was then. And um, yeah, they got they got married. There's a sort of Georgie girl photo of my parents getting married on uh, town hall steps. My mother in a sort of natty little Chanel-alike suit, and and a what looks a, like a very modest beehive. And um, and then they flew out to Hong Kong. My mum taught English out there, and and my dad worked for British Airways and. Uh, yeah, they had two of us out in Hong Kong, and then um, they did, a, I can't remember, 10 countries in 14 years or something. And, uh, yeah, it was a great childhood. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was so absolutely fantastic. So where did you live? You moved? Hong Kong, and then Zambia, where we had a dog called Whiskey <laughs> that played football. Golden Retriever called Whiskey that played football. Wow. And then we had to leave whiskey behind. Which sad. My dad, when he was young, uh, before he married my mum, had a monkey somewhere. I can't remember where he was living, but really? he had a monkey. So, um, yeah, but we didn't have a lot of pets growing up, which is sad. Oh, I like the sound of your dad. He sounds like a sort of benevolent Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't. If you think, of, if you imagine what the polar opposite of Michael Jackson is, that is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Never wears any form of gloves, let alone one. Uh, <laughs> takes no interest in his personal appearance. Can't dance. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Is he, and did you but have he, siblings, Sally? I've got two younger brothers, yeah. And so the little one was born in um, Borneo. So we did Borneo and then Beirut, who evacuated when the war started. Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Bahrain. Oh. Middle East, uh, Australia, and then Italy, and then back. And what was your, how would you define your sort of family um, energy, I suppose? You know, was it sort of noisy extroverts and... Um well, I think we're quite sort of, um, when you're always moving, you're the... You, I suppose you become good at fitting into new environments quickly. Yeah. Um, but you don't ever get confident to be... The life and soul of the party. Do you think you know, that's I think there's something about being. I don't know. When people are very, very, very secure, then they very secure in their long-term relationships. So, I mean, if you're just moving, if yeah. something goes wrong, you might not have time to sort it out before you have to leave country. <laughs> so, um, there's a, and I think there was a certain. It's not its reputation, but there was a certain modesty to being a British expat in the 70s sort of sense of um, not being flash. 
Oh, really? Being, you know, being different to other nationalities in the, you know, I remember saying I'm North American and I'm not South African. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm British and having a sense that that did mean never saying you were good at anything. Yeah. Uh, drinking tea, <laughs> being, you know, being fantastically polite and knowing a lot more than you said. And were, you, were your parents quite sort of into manners and... They weren't etiquette at all. They're not remotely stuck up. I mean, my, my dad's family were teachers. My mum's family were news agents. And so... Oh, really? But when I say etiquette, I, I suppose, I don't mean... I mean more like my parents, because we moved around a lot when I was Oh, did you? What do you... Where, how did you? My parents... We moved to Australia, New Zealand. We were moving oh, around Oh, we were in Australia as well. Oh, where really? were you? Oh, imagine if we'd have known each other. <laughs> where were you? I was there. We were in Sydney. Me too. I went to school there and came back with an Australian accent. So did I. Did you? And then, and then it was the one accent I couldn't do for a really long time. So it was one act, when you started sketch comedy, everyone could do Australian no problem. I just couldn't because I couldn't hear it for ages. Well, you probably, what was odd, I was, my sister was really, we were always really upset because my sister was like, why did we have an Australian accent before Neighbours? Everyone just thought we spoke odd <laughs> when we came back. It became cool with Kylie. Yeah, and when we came back, there was, I had an Australian English teacher and people thought I was putting it on to get better marks in what I now remember was my colouring. <laughs> <laughs> the only Australian thing I could master was the dad in, remember that thing, Sylvania Waters? And I remember, it was one of those sort of fly-on-the-wall reality shows. I think it was that documentary maker, Paul Watson, who did The Family. Right. And there was this, the dad came in, and it was my parents' favourite line, because he, he walked in genuinely irate, and he went, is there any good reason why the television isn't on? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That the is very good. That someone had turned the TV off. I did a film out there. Well, it would have been 15 years ago now, so just after Ollie was born. So my response to Ollie being born with Down syndrome was like, was a bit, come on, Aussie, come on, come on. I was like, this isn't going to stop me. <laughs> so I flew out to Melbourne to do a feature with this oh, really? baby with Down syndrome. It's fantastically difficult to get anyone with a disability into Australia as you can imagine you might need help of some sort we're not up we're not up for that <laughs> um, but yeah I remember landing in Melbourne and um, yeah and seeing the big uh, it's the swearing that I miss the big big sign on the way in from the airport like don't don't be a bloody idiot don't drink and drive that's a government <laughs> government advert yeah, public health warning don't be a bloody idiot there's a level of informality which I really like, which is you expect the Prime Minister, you know, saying, Prime Minister, what do you have to say about the recent tax cut? Ah, oh, bloody hell, mate. Oh, I'm not... Don't not this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting the sense you had a quite a happy childhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very. I mean, you know, my, I, 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 yeah, I was, had every possible privilege, saw the world... We're British Airways kids, so we got to use the crew hotels. So although we wouldn't have, you know, a house with a swimming pool, we'd be able to visit the Holiday Inn, which had a swimming pool. So I'm getting the impression, well-adjusted, lovely parents, a lot of emotional stability. So then I can't work out why you became a performer. Well, I think a lot of people move, who move around become performers. I think it's this thing where you become a, an observer of what's going on rather than 
right in the centre. You find a lot of performers from with army backgrounds, teaching backgrounds, uh, vicar backgrounds. It's just really common. Like most people have at least one big move. There was definitely a period in my early twenties where I'd realised I'd sort of I'd done my tricks after about a year and a half of friendship, and I didn't know what to do next. It's like. Okay, we're now complete. This is the cycle is now complete. All oh, right, oh, we continue now. Oh, <laughs> exciting terrain. <laughs> <laughs> Are you very attached to books? Yeah. Because I find it because you all those things that make your home portable. Yeah. Like loads and loads and loads of books. Then you, whenever you put your bookshelf up, then you're home. Or well, for a long time, I had that. And did you have? So you said you had a dog when you were in. Yeah, we had a dog in Zambia, and then we weren't allowed another pet. So I banged on about I banged on about getting a dog my entire life. Did you? And then um, no, then we ended up. I never expected to end up in the suburbs, you know, doing that, being a being a mum. I mean, I was only really working six months of the year for about ten years when um, the kids were when I was getting pregnant and having babies. And I thought, well, now I can get a dog. Now, finally, we have it. It always used to be it's not fair on the dog because it's not stable. And then um, everyone just said to me, oh, you can't manage your own children. <laughs> You'll never manage a dog. <laughs> and I allowed these. <laughs> I'm going to call them non-friends, these non-friends of mine. To, I allowed their, uh, you know, I allowed that to... But I just had this hunch that having the dogs would make it easier with the kids, not harder. Mm. And indeed they have made it a lot easier. For starters, you can go, don't scream, they're scaring the dogs. They'll behave for the dogs in a way they won't behave for me. Oh, that's interesting. And they calm them. I've got, you know, I've got, well, Ollie with additional needs, lots of sensory needs, and he'll just hold Teddy and stroke him for an hour. Really? Yeah, and then demand to have his photograph taken with Teddy in loads of loving poses. He loves that. Loves nothing more than to pose <laughs> with Teddy for a an anti-wonderful animal handler. <laughs> <laughs> presumably, he's only 15, but presumably for his Tinder profile <laughs> of the future. It sounds like you were still a dog family. My mum said last night, it's my mum's birthday yesterday, she said last night, she said, we know your views on your childhood, we read about them in the papers. Which was <laughs> quite, a, quite punchy. <laughs> Was that a reference to anything in particular? Have you, what have you said about your childhood in the papers? I've said that I didn't like boarding school, which of course was a massive, massively difficult thing for them to pay for, and you know, definitely them thinking they were doing the very best thing for me. And you went to Wickham Abbey, Wickham Abbey which is quite a sort of well-known, traditional. I think it's. I think you know. I think it's probably really nice now. They have you know a thing called pastoral care now, and also a salad bar. <laughs> Whereas. <laughs> It was yeah, all... that like Garfunkel's salad bar? <laughs> sweet corners and coleslaw. How old were you then, Sally, when you went there? Because you were moving around and then... Well, I went, I went to Wickham at 13, mm. but I went to boarding school at nine. And I just think that's a really, really bad idea. But I don't think they knew that, and that's what everyone living abroad did. So we were in the Middle East and the schools weren't very good. In Abu Dhabi, a girl had got kidnapped from our school. And they were worried about us not having consistent friendships and also it's just what everybody did and the company paid for you to go so yeah well yeah. my parents are very uh, funny 
Are they? My brothers are very funny. My parents said they don't think they're funny, but they are, and they really appreciate humour. But it's all part of this modesty thing of making a self-depreciating joke. That's how you fit into your new environment. And were you aware you were funny you started growing I up? Wasn't, I wasn't funny. My brothers were funny. Really? I was stupid. That was the... <laughs> so, <laughs> I was a person who couldn't work out that if you posted a block of ice, it would have melted by the time... You know, I was... I was stupid. I was one that fell down the toilet. And there's, there's various types of funny, aren't there? But one is, you know, wit. And that's definitely my... Um, middle brother Andrew. Yeah. He's incredibly witty. He was in advertising and branding. He's really creative. He worked in music for a while. Oh wow. And he's just really sharp and really, really funny. Yeah. Um, does a lot of wordplay. And, and so it, was, it wasn't me that was funny at all. Um, but I wanted, I took myself very seriously and wanted to be a, you know, proper actress. And it turns out that aspiration was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> And the more I tried to be Juliet, the more they laughed. <laughs> and so here I am, washed up on the shores of idiocy. I do like it. I do love laughing now, I mean, it's, and I love that, that sort of slightly, slight anarchy that you get in comedy and in music. Yeah. That I... You did, you, did you have that sense then that, you know, you went to this boarding school, which is, you know, well-known and I've heard of it, and it's quite... It, it, did you feel too big for it? Do you know what I mean? Definitely not. No, I, I, just, I didn't feel... I just mean in terms of your personality, or no, did you feel you fitted in? Neither of those things. Mm. I didn't feel too big for it, and I didn't feel that I fitted in. Yeah. So, so where were I, you I, I, I just, in, that, in terms of that school? I think it was belonging. It was like not having a sense of belonging, because there was a lot of, you know, very, very nice people, but... Pony Club, Hobbs Shoes Wearing People. And Sally, I just had a shiver through me when you, you said You know exactly shoes. who they are. <laughs> well, so I remember trying to sew my own clothes to look like their clothes. So it is the everything apparent. There was a big phase for wearing peppermint striped gathered skirts. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? And they were really, they were in a kind of brushed cotton. But I didn't know where you got them and I certainly couldn't afford them. And so... I bought a load of red and white striped material from John Lewis and then thought, well, I'll make a skirt. How hard can it be? And then my mother wouldn't lend me her sewing machine because she thought, quite correctly, I'm sure that I would break it because I didn't know how to use a sewing machine. So I sat trying to sew, and I did sew, in fact, very badly. I sewed myself a skirt, but of course it was nothing like fair skirts. And so it didn't work. Because really, you're trying to, you're just you're trying to camouflage, aren't you? You're trying to fit in. Um, and so then, when you definitely can't fit in, then there's different ways of dealing with it. And I suppose at that point, I went, okay, so I can't do that. So I'm going to pretend. I remember, you know, because coming back from overseas, and it was very tribal when we were young. Mu what music you liked? I said, what music do you like? My blood would run cold. Wouldn't have. And I was quite musical, but I just. I had no idea who Limal was. <laughs> Do you know what, retrospectively, I'm really proud of you for that. <laughs> you made the right yeah. choice. But so then I go, I just like Rachmaninoff, which sounded incredibly pretentious, but it was just a way of not how... having to answer the question. Well, I think what happened to me is I stopped. What was very good about it was I stopped being so afraid of getting it wrong. 
which is a very good how do you think grounding. you stopped that? Well, just because I could never get it right. So then <laughs> it's, it's adversity inoculation, isn't it? So then you've got it wrong and no one dies. And also you then you do start going, I'm not sure I want to fit in anyway with this. I'm, an, I'm allergic to horses, so coming to the Gymkhana <laughs> will be 100% miserable. <laughs> I don't really want to go to the Gymkhana anyway. So, um, and what was good at Wickham was there were a load of Miss Jean Brodie type teachers. Mm. It's a wild English teacher who used to host hippie picnics and poetry readings. And so there were, you know, there were good sides. Oh, a I debating like club where we went and debated various different other schools. And I debated Jacob Rees-Mogg in the chamber at Eton. Oh, how did that go? <laughs> I was booed. I remember he was followed in by... I mean, in my memory, uh, it, w it was like, you know, Jesus in one of those <laughs> biblical epics from the 70s was just crowds following him. Uh, and then I, I remember him going up into this sort of, must have been a pulpit type thing to speak. Yeah, that sounds right. I can see yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, he was, he was, uh, you can see how this cabinet, yeah. not this cabinet, this government's come about because the, the characters were so big and mm. it was such a world in which people were, you know, worshipped or whatever. And yeah. much more, it seemed much more so than Oxford did when I got there. Because he was at Oxford, wasn't he? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't um, cross paths with him at well, all. So I... once I got to Oxford, I just I felt like I found my tribe and everything was fine. Did you? Yeah. And you did... Um... Italian. Completely I know, but you're one of those pointless ones. subjects. Because, no, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to let you have that, Sally. I, I, yeah, I, no, I was I really lucky. Think... My friends from there are still my best friends. I met some amazing women there, really, really brilliant women. And, um, and you started performing there, didn't you? Was I did, yeah. My dad time? said to me, um, yeah, it was really. I did music at school. Mm. I did an Eastern West Side Story, the, the end of school, but I didn't do drama because you couldn't do drama and music. So I just did music. And then, yeah, and then got to Oxford and realised um, that the standard was just... You know, I went from big fish and small pond to mm. small fish and big pond. And um, I got into the wind band, Oxford University wind band. And there was something like sixth flute in the wind band, <laughs> which is an entirely wind-based <laughs> orchestra. And I went to the first rehearsal and it was an incredible time... Uh, I don't even know what you call it now, time code. Like 56 over 72 or something. And I was like, I have no idea how to even count this. <laughs> So I didn't, didn't do that for very long and then started, yeah, started, doing, started doing acting. And by the and end of the first year, I was writing. And you encountered loads of other, did you, were Stuart Lee and Richard Herring there at that time or something? Were they slightly earlier? I didn't meet them. I didn't have any interest in comedy. I met mm. them after Baird left. Ah, OK. <clears throat> I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So they would have been in the third year when I was in the first year. Oh, Oh no! She's just stalling him because he's oh. a bit, yeah. It's not by, like, oh, no. not by a dog like that, but by a Shiba Inu. I'm just trying curious. to reacclimatise him. Like when I see oh. other dogs coming, that I think he might be a bit nervous of, oh. just to try and distract him because I don't want to be picking him up. No, he's so sweet though. He's <laughs> yeah, so sweet. Tell me about your dog. So 
he's called Monty. He's a Maltese, a cross between a Maltese and a Yorkshire Terrier. Oh, wow. So I adopted him when he was six months old. Oh, where from? So, oh, a friend of mine. Good boy. So oh, tick. Good boy. Oh, so nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Have a nice day. Yeah. Come on. So, after Oxford, and you got to me, I the first thing I remember you associate you with was Smack the Pony, which was obviously so groundbreaking for people at the time. Um, did it fit? What did it feel like being? You know, I mean, that was your project, and you created it, and you were were you conscious at the time that kind of what a big deal it was? Felt very high stakes. Yeah. Because it was, um, you know, just accepted that women simply weren't as funny as men. Yeah. So, I'm thinking, if this, isn't, if this isn't funny, then they're going to have won that argument. Uh-huh. And that's going to be very bad. <laughs> and all the women are going to hate, all the really funny women are going to hate us for queering the pitch. You don't yeah. say that anymore? But, you know, for, for giving them so much ammo. Yeah. And so, yeah, it did feel, um, felt, uh, felt nerve-wracking. And, and then, you know, it didn't feel that much. Like it was, and I think it's become it's sort of more celebrated now than it was then. And we used to be nominated for all the awards, but we never used to win them. Mm. Always up against Sally G, and there was this idea that, yeah, yeah, okay, so, um, yes, the girls, but the really funny business is done by... Simon Pegg and Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm. <clears throat> so yeah, and then it was this sort of bit of a joke that was so popular in Scandinavia, where of course <laughs> things were slightly less sexist. <laughs> I'd only ever seen, I suppose, women in comedy in a sort of caricature. You know, it was either what time do you call this then? You know, the old bag, or it was sexy woman. You know, that's how you'd always perceive it. And I think that was just ingrained in me. And to see women, I felt, oh, they, they're like me. You know, and they're, they're being just funny for funny's sake. That's, that's what it felt like. That was the objective. Yeah. So it's good it felt like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and it felt like we were doing... Um, so we didn't have returning... We were coming straight after the fast show, so we didn't do catchphrases or returning characters. We didn't want to do any parody because of French and Saunders, and we didn't want to do any topical references. Um you know, to distinguish from other things. And so it did end up having, because we had so many, we had such a s- strict, so we had so many rules, it ended up having quite a strong brand, I think. Mm. And it has lasted. But those oh, rules were really, really, up, Sally. they were I really reactive. Reaction, yeah. You know, reactive still, towards around us. Why hasn't it dated? It really... Well, I think because of those rules. And it, it probably, oh. you know, it has dated a bit, but you know, because of the... So we're playing situation, not characters. So it's not a type of person that yeah. has changed. So you're playing, you know, someone who... Someone getting it wrong, generally. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. I remember thinking, gosh, in boys' sketch shows, they will have... The boys will play people robbing the banks and then the police coming. Mm. And we would play two women in a car park round the back who could vaguely hear a rumpus. <laughs> And that felt like that felt like a, you know, an accurate representation of our lives. Yeah. That you know we were we were allowed to do stuff, but we were allowed to be out. We were allowed to be out of the house, but we weren't yet allowed to rob the bank <laughs> or yeah, do any it, of that stuff. We we had to sort of vaguely overhear other things. And there's <laughs> this sort of feeling of uh, being an observer that I think 
yeah. women, uh, you know, less and less, but at that time very much had the idea that, and we would often have the exciting event had just happened, so the bus <laughs> had just crashed. And this, we, this was the sort of useless period as you hung around waiting for the police to turn up. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not with Prince Al, you're with Falstaff in the tavern. But then those are the best scenes. As you're we washing know, up. So. <laughs> you're washing up, you're not even there. You can hear jokes happening at the front. Did you, because um, you must have, you know, you became hugely famous at the time. And, and I just wondered how that was in the let's say late 90s, because that was a complicated time for to women. You know, it was sort of lads and ladettes. Because it was that whole era the 90s was that's exactly right it was a terrible shock <laughs> i mean, like coming out of oxford where I, you know I was, in you I was in charge of all the boys i knew really <laughs> <laughs> and no one would have dared to say that women weren't as good as men mm -hmm. i mean it, uh, and then um Sorry. and then you go for go for auditions and um and they would say, oh, she was really good, but can she come back more attractive? You go, no, this is it. This is, the, this is as attractive as it gets. <laughs> like, apart from what do you mean by that? What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean wearing shorter skirts? I remember being up in uh, the Edinburgh Festival and all the comedians obsessing over this uh, show, Susie Rong, Human Cannon, who was a Hong Kong comedienne who did a show that did involve her firing ping pong balls out of her vagina and she wandered around the Pleasance Courtyard in a latex onesie most of the day and all these you know stinking comedy writers would go and see the show over and over and over. I was like oh, this, is, this is just so boring guys she's literally just wearing shiny clothing that's anyone can look like that if they put on some shiny clothing and then go no no, no there is something about her so I went out and bought a pair of PVC trousers. <laughs> so I turned up to do my show in my shell suit. This is a new doing at Edinburgh Festival, yeah. Yeah, I turned up to do the show in a you know, tracksuit of some sort. Did the, lots of dancing around and jumping about. And then put on these PVC trousers and a white t-shirt. And I got offered three jobs before I hit the bar. <laughs> and then you go, oh no! <laughs> now this is a really big moral dilemma. Should I ever wear these trousers again or not? Somehow, if I wear these trousers again in a work context, I will just feel dirty. <laughs> really, really dirty. So the only time I ever wore them again was at, I wore them to play a whore in a helicopter for um, Armandi Anucci's Friday Night Armistice. The election night armistice where oh, right. yeah, I was supposed to be starting lot, the, the first yeah. sex scandal of the next government. You also, Sally, I think... Obviously, Smack the Pony felt like, yeah, it was just huge. And I mean, I know you get that from a lot of women, don't you? Just saying you were inspiring. And, um, but also, I remember when I first saw you on Alan Partridge and you made this role just, I mean, it was the, what did they used to call Philip Seymour Hoffman, the grand larcenist, you know, because he was seen still. Do oh, you know what? I was just about to say, I absolutely hate compliments I feel like I'm being sort of burnt alive and then you and then you have said I'm in any way similar to <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman and I'm just like keep going all day well the reason I yeah. make that 
references because it's, there's a naturalism and subtlety. And I, rem I love something Larry David pointed out once about comedy. And he was talking about Curb Her Enthusiasm, I think. And he said, well, I always hated it when I'd watch comedy and there'd be this guy doing these ridiculous things, being unreasonable and impossible yeah. and being funny. And no one would laugh at him. They would just sit there poker yeah. face in that sitcom mode. It was a rule that you weren't allowed to laugh in a comedy show. If you laugh, the audience won't laugh with you, which is absolutely untrue. And why did you break that? Was that something you discussed with Steve Coogan? Like, did you know what your character was going to be like going into that when you played Sophie? No. I auditioned and I was supposed to be up in Edinburgh. I was like, oh gosh, I really want this job, but I can't do it because I'm supposed to be up in Edinburgh. And then I remember just thinking in the improv, the funniest thing to do here is to laugh and leave. But if I laugh and leave, I won't be in it very much. <laughs> oh, that could work really well. <laughs> so indeed, that's what I did. I laughed and left and they... Because they had been auditioning very attractive women to play Sophie, like lots of model types, because they were looking for someone who'd make Alan feel very, very awkward. And so they'd been... I wonder if this might have been Steve's idea to get a lot of incredibly beautiful women on set to make Alan feel really weird. Yeah, it turned out that laughing at him obviously was disappointing me for Steve. Was, uh, yeah, and was it was that a happy experience? That was a very happy experience. That. And he's, I mean, he just is a genius, Steve. He's, he's I do think he's the greatest. Uh, and Partridge is the greatest character yeah. we've, you know, our, our generation has seen. It's so, he's so multi-layered and Steve is so brilliant the way he inhabits the character and also is completely not acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the mix between the two things and nothing, there's never a, a bum note. The choices are always... Uh, always interesting and with I mean the, the new writers are really good as well but I do I do think you know with Armando and Pete Bainham writing Partridge was just an absolutely mm. glorious era I'm enjoying new Partridge though with um what was it this Scissored Isle where yes Partridge is now also the producer so you can <laughs> see that Partridge is involved in the shot choices <laughs> so that's a whole new layer of Partridge to enjoy you know, so there'll be a lingering shot over the, <laughs> over the steering wheel <laughs> <laughs> the features of the car that Alan particularly, particularly likes yeah. listen you know I want to talk because um, I know you want to head off soon and I want to talk a bit about your family because I watched your documentary about your son, Ollie, and I just loved it, Sally. It was a few years ago, wasn't it? And yeah, 2016. it really changed my view, if I'm honest. Well, that's great. Well, I just wanted to have a debate because there hadn't been we any debate. We should say what it is in case people didn't see it at the time. It is still... We made a documentary called World Without Down Syndrome, which was examining um, or looking at the arrival of the new... Uh, DNA screens for various different um, uh, abnormalities, should we say, mm. differences um, prenatally before the uh, you know termination window, and I, I wanted to point out that there had never been an ethical debate 
about Down syndrome. So Down syndrome was uh, testing for Down, screening for Down syndrome was first introduced when lives were short and presumed to be full of suffering. Mm -hmm. And then without there having been any uh, acknowledgement that the motivation for screening had changed, um, because now lives are long and we know that people with Down syndrome don't suffer from the Down syndrome. I mean, you know, may have additional complications or, you know, there's obviously the whole social thing to, you know, being excluded or hate crime or whatever, but... Um, and uh, you are an yeah, and, and now, now we screen because we see them as a burden. You said a, an expensive burden. And so yeah. that is a massive ethical shift mm. um, that has gone totally unacknowledged. And so, I mean, I think it is worth, you know, it was worth having a conversation. And uh, we did, you know, we did provoke a conversation, which and was good. I think also, I was just really touched seeing your relationship with Ollie, because I think um, you, it was useful and it was helpful as well. You know, you were talking about the things people have said to you, perhaps not meaning to be hurtful in any way, but it's just you said someone had said, did you know? Didn't you know? Or didn't said. you know, yeah, didn't you know? That's the big thing, didn't you know? Did you know is sort of curiosity. Yeah, didn't you know, Still not sorry. that tactful, but yeah. <laughs> didn't you know is the presumption that you ought to... And I think Richard Hawkins, uh, Richard Hawkins, Richard Dawkins said, um, you know, we have a moral imperative to get rid of the faulty fetus and mm. get a better one. And he retracted that. Was sort of, there was a you know, public conversation about it and he retracted that. Um, but there, there is a very common, very common perception. And, you know, unless you examine it, and what the, it doesn't take, you don't have to dig very far to see why that's a massive problem. I mean, one of the things would be we'll all be disabled, yeah. hopefully, if we live long enough. Yeah. And so disability, it isn't just a, it, you know, isn't just something that happens before birth. So Down syndrome is a very tiny, um, almost symbol of disability, because I don't think it makes, so, we're such a tiny population, doesn't make any actual difference to anyone except the Down syndrome community, whether or not Down syndrome is eliminated. <laughs> but you, you don't eliminate disability. Yeah, and actually, to be honest, I, I worked with a girl and she was, probably one of the most compassionate, empathetic women I've ever met. There was something unique about her, sort of ability to care. And she told me her brother had Down syndrome. And, I, and I, there was a connection I made, having seen your documentary, that I thought... Yes, I agree. I'm I think, sure you evolved to be that person. I think that's completely right. Do you, th do you see that in your kids, Sally? Well, at the moment, I think it, you know, at the moment, between 8 and 12 is not a great <laughs> age. <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment they're just being terribly yeah. ableist and horrible. <laughs> but I did, I did obsessively go looking for siblings of people with disabilities when Ollie was, well, when I had my second one. Yeah. Because I was so worried about it. And, um, really? Yeah. And after about the 60th, incredibly well balanced, um, you know, kind, undamaged, useful self-motivated 
I mean, one, one, the only difference um, between people, uh, siblings of people with Down syndrome and without is that they're ever so slightly more likely to go into the caring profession. So they're oh, slightly really? more likely to be therapists, doctors, yeah. That's interesting. nurses. Yeah. Um, and so you could say, oh gosh, you know, they're tied up in serving for the rest of their lives and not having fun. Or you could say they're slightly more useful. This is one mechanism for making people more useful to society. Yeah. It's from an early age, you know, Did you, um, help them to understand the other and other. And also, just that idea of, you know, it was interesting, that idea of the assumption of perfection you know all the time that that should be our aspiration and I don't know it's it's just well I also just think we've got it and I really think we've got it wrong in that um, there is what we were talking earlier weren't we about adversity inoculation yeah where so there's this research done on people who uh, lose legs. Because I mean, most mm. disability is acquired disability, so you can't test for it in the womb. Mm. So somebody who loses the use of their legs, um, oops, sorry. Hello doggies, come here. Hi there, nearly finishing, just coming up Mortlake Brewery. All right, see ya, bye. Sorry. Oh, bad now. We've got such a busy life. And no, well, I don't normally. Normally, it's no, just one thing a day. But you're a single mum. I think that's incredible. Yes. I really do. Um, tell I don't, me. I don't think my kids would say that. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they, they would. Get, Mummy's confusing cooking <laughs> with fish fingers and then a bit of stir fry on the side. Like, what is this, mum? Yeah, well, well you know. Get trapped in here, Sally. Enjoy. Oh, I need to ask you what I ask everyone on this. Um, do you have therapy, Sally? Yes. Or have you had it? I have had therapy, yes. And did you find it helpful? Very. Very. Yeah, it's interesting. Very, very helpful. I've yeah. had different, a couple of different, actually only two therapists. Yeah. And um, one was French and very demure and had a really beautiful flat in Earl's Court <laughs> and lots of art that I wanted. Yeah. And she didn't say very much and took a lot of notes. Um, but that was helpful in terms of, because I just had never been brought up to talk about myself at all. Really? And I didn't really know how to understand. I don't know. Yeah, it was helpful. It was really helpful just to let the pressure mm. out. Do you and now I see a comedian's wife. <laughs> and she's absolutely brilliant. Oh, I want, I want to see the comedian's, comedian's wife. wife. Yeah, she's fantastic. She used to be a comedy writer and she's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, really brilliant. But I haven't seen her for over lockdown. Do you think that's something that sort of the performer's tax, if you like, is the sometimes, well, everyone suffers from mental health things at some point, or you'll have down days. As, but do you, are you, are you, you know, are you sort of sunshine and showers, or are you fairly regulated with your moods? Um, I'm not so much anymore. I think I was like that when I was younger. Were you? But I just do think I've got quite a lot on my plate. I've had quite, I've got to, yeah. you know, you've got to, when you're trying to process a divorce um, and not involve the kids. That's so tough. And, yeah. you know, there are lots of stresses with three boys when you're a mum. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of issues when someone dumps you for a Russian yoga teacher. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's things to think through, like... <laughs> Will I ever do yoga again? <laughs> and uh, 
Am I past it? Should I get Botox? Or should I deliberately not get Botox? Uh -oh. <laughs> and you, do you know what I mean? There's just, and, and uh, it's just, also when you're a mum, you, you, well, you just feel really aware. When you have slightly tra traumatic events, yeah. you, you just need to say the same thing over and over again. And you just, feel, I just don't want to say exactly the same thing over and over and over again to my friends. And I was starting to talk to my middle son about things that you know I shouldn't talk to him about. So it's just good to just, it's like, you know, um, Midas has ass's ears. You sort of go and <laughs> dig a hole in a field and, and shout, <laughs> I hate yoga! <laughs> <laughs> and all yogis, <laughs> death to the yogis. <laughs> and, um, and then you, you can come back in. Australians, bloody yogis. Bloody yoga. You're yeah. bullshit yogi. Yeah. Um, do you? You seem quite. You seem very well adjusted, though, Sally. And well, I sound surprised because most extremely kind of you. I don't know why. I think I get the sense that you're quite. You're not a people pleaser, but you're a kind person, but not a people pleaser. And there is a difference. It's interesting. It's just little things. Like I notice if I say something, I say no, it wasn't that. And I like people that do that because it. I don't know. It gives me hints that they're authentic, and you strike me as very authentic. Well, that's another one of those compliments that makes me feel like my skin's on fire. Do you but hate if you mention Philip Seymour Hoffman again, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, I, I was saying to Philip he Seymour did, of course, Hoffman... He did, of course, kill him. himself. Oh, so no. that was... Um, I was so struck by something he said about acting. He said, it's like trying to lug a heavy suitcase up a flight of steps using just your mind. And I really... It's not very often I take a job that seriously, mm. <laughs> but when I do take it very seriously and try to do it really properly, that is exactly what it's like. You're trying to run you yeah. and well-behaved you at work and, um, and the character yeah. and the actor's relationship with the camera. You're trying to run all these different things at once and sometimes it's just so, your head feels so heavy, you just want to lie down. What do you hope people will say about you when you leave the room? And what do you fear they'll say? Well, I hope they'll say, make them feel better about things. Mm. Like, uh, make them feel difficult things aren't so... Difficult things are surmountable. Mm. And... Uh, Teddy. Teddy? 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 No, listen. He's got pancreatitis. You just got to stop it, Ted. Goodness Teddy, me. we don't know where that bread came from. Yeah. But it looks white, I'm just saying. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's the organic bakery, Sally. It doesn't. Um, that looks like precisely the kind of thing it's going and to... And what do you... Yeah, and what do I hope they won't they say? say? Well, I suppose it matters to me that they think I'm authentic, so I, I would really hope they wouldn't say that I was... that I didn't mean what I said or that I wasn't... Because I, you know, I've, I fear about being unreliable, because I am slightly unreliable in that. I, my, my, um, you know, I've got, I've got a lot on, and I hate post offices and diaries. Oh, so do I. I. Really hate them. Why is that such a way of living abroad? I don't know what it is. No, well, mine is, is it ADHD. ADHD? Would... I have got. Yeah, that. Have you got ADHD? I got diagnosed as an adult, and I people. Some people say to me, "Oh, do you just use that as an excuse for being disorganised?" Um, I wonder if I've got that. Oh, like there's a lot of um, it's actors very who do. Tell me what you're doing at Ronnie the Ronnie Ancona and I have set up a 
film company called Captain Dolly that is powered by a distribution production company called Film Soho. Yeah. And we're hoping to do lots and lots of different things. Um, but we, our initial, the thing that got us started is we, we got asked to write a dog movie about the Palm Dog. So to research it, we went to Cannes. The Palm Dog is the premier acting prize for canine actors, as you probably know. We went and presented the award to Quentin Tarantino last year <laughs> on behalf <laughs> on behalf of Palm oh, Dog, oh, Toby yeah. Rose's Palm Dog. Yeah. And um, yeah, he whistled and we came running. And uh, yeah, and we're feeling quite stuck is the honest truth. I mean, we've always wanted to have our own production company. We haven't always dreamt of doing a dog movie. What's interesting is when you talk to guys about it, they go, oh, brilliant, you're going to have a dog talking. I'm like, no, we're not going to have a dog talking. None of the women say that. They go, oh, brilliant, the relationship with the dog. And the guys go, oh, brilliant, you're going to hear what the dog has to say? No, no. Ronnie does keep asking attractive men in their 40s to be in it. <laughs> I told her she's got to stop. We don't have any more roles. Teddy, Lottie. Teddy, Lottie. Come on, Lottie. Sally, I'm going to let you go to your meeting. I've loved our walk. I can't hug you because of COVID. But lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. And hope to meet you again with Raymond. Yeah, can I give your dogs a hug though? Do you? Teddy, Lottie, say bye. Say bye. Good dogs. Good boy. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.